It's the third hour. Yes, it is. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. I So I was going to talk about the Iran deal, and I will. But I need to spend a moment on some of the Russia-Ukraine stuff. John King was on with me yesterday, not the CNN anchor, the Georgia Insurance Commissioner. He worked with the Russians in Bosnia for a while. Uh, he's a John King's a major general in the uh, American National Guard. And he said something that actually a couple of friends of mine who were also in Bosnia uh, dealing with the Russians said, and that is that they're really not as capable as you think. You know, uh, a lot of us, myself included, have shared that Russian military recruitment ad where the, the American military recruitment ads are all now come to the military and get your education. The Russian military ads are join the army, kill people. <laughs> it's actually, it's a pretty effective advertisement that they, they look like manly men. And then you see what's happening in Ukraine and you wonder what on earth is going on there. Thomas Grove and Stephen Fiddler at uh, the wall street journal actually have a story that I want to spend a few moments with. And again, if you subscribe to the show notes, to the Substack, to my daily email, you would get this article uh, as one of the links. You can text the word show to 33777. Uh, The bottom link will be to my daily email that I send out. And and I've started at noon uh, compiling all the links that I want to talk about in the show, and I send them out so y'all can have them uh, for your reference. We get people calling all the time saying, hey, where's that link? Well... We figure we'd profit off of those of you who do. (laughs) Subscribe to the email. You get the links. How Russia's revamped military fumbled the invasion of Ukraine. Subtitle, Moscow spent years upgrading its capabilities only to see armed forces fail their first major test, confounding Western assessments and giving Ukraine a boost. For over a decade... Russia spent hundreds of billions of dollars restructuring its military into a smaller, better equipped, and more professional force that could face off against the West. Three weeks into Russia's invasion of Ukraine, its first big test, the armed forces have floundered. Western estimates, while highly uncertain, suggest as many as 7,000 Russian soldiers may have been killed. Keep in mind, that's a conservative estimate. The dead include four Russian generals, one-fifth of the number estimated to be in Ukraine, along with other senior commanders, according to a Western official and Ukrainian military reports. The generals were close to the front lines, some Western officials said, a sign that lower ranks in forward units were likely unable to make decisions or fearful of advancing. Russian troops turned to using open telephone and analog radios following the failure of encrypted communication systems, the Ukrainian Defense Ministry has said, making them vulnerable to intercept or jamming. Russian officers were likely targeted after their positions were exposed by their use of open communications, Western military analysts said. In the strategically located town of Voznesink, Ukrainian forces comprising local officials, local volunteers, and the professional military drove off an attack earlier this month in one of the most comprehensive routes Russian forces have suffered. Russia's failings appear to trace to factors ranging from the Kremlin's wrong assumptions about Ukrainian resistance to the use of poorly motivated conscript soldiers. 
They suggest that Russia and the West overestimated Moscow's overhaul of its armed forces, which some military analysts say appear to have undermined by graft and misreporting. The military's previous outings and staged maneuvers and smaller operations in Syria didn't prepare it for a multi-pronged attack into a country with the military fiercely defending its homeland, said Michael Kaufman, director of Russia Studies at CNA, a nonprofit research organization based in Arlington, Virginia. The failures that we're seeing now is them having to work with a larger force than they've ever employed in real combat conditions as opposed to an exercise. These exercises that we've been shown over the years are very scripted events and closer to theater than anything else. It turns out, in the real world, the Russian army kind of sucks. This story goes on and on. I, I've read enough to you. It is it is important that you... Uh, th- that you digest this. One more, just just key paragraph here. The NATO uh, official said Russia's fighting style surprised Western observers because it didn't follow the Russian military's doctrine of using mobile units called battalion tactical groups and a consolidated system to command troops, which would have allowed the military to be nimbler against the enemy without extending supply lines dangerously inside Ukrainian territory. One central weakness of the campaign is Russia's failure to coordinate within and between branches of its armed forces, which has created problems in resupplying forces inside Ukraine and in coordinating the offense. Y'all, it, it's this is just, it's, it's bad for the Russians, which is good for the rest of us. But there's something else here as well that I think is is really underplayed, and I, it's it's something that we need to consider about this modern warfare. What's going on in Ukraine is a disaster for the Russians right now. I am in the camp that believes that more likely than not, the Russians are doing better than we think. Ukraine is definitely winning the social media war, but the Russians are advancing uh, and they can probably resupply their lines and Ukraine's going to have to hold on for a couple more weeks. If Kiev gets surrounded, it's going to be bad for them. But the Russians are doing far worse than a lot of people expected. And there's one reason why that doesn't get discussed much. This is the first time a major military has faced off against another major military since World War II. While Russia may be facing Ukraine, it's facing Ukraine, a military equipped with Russian military equipment, and also now Western military equipment, the Javelin, the Stinger. Uh, th- these things matter. They they matter greatly. The Russians, when they faced off in Syria, they were facing ISIS. Not as well equipped, not a modern army, no, no jets. In fact, the Russian uh, military tactics in Syria mostly involved aerial bombardment. It didn't really involve a lot of the Russian army to the extent that it involved the Russian army. They were uh, considered mercenaries and a small group of American special operators defeated a group of Russian mercenaries in Syria that was three times as large. Did you hear that story? Yes, you may remember that story from a few years ago. 
American positions actually encountered Russian mercenaries working with the Syrians. The Americans had been there helping the Kurds. They got surrounded and were able to beat and outnumber. They were outnumbered by the Russians and still won. The Russians years ago tried to upgrade their military. And interestingly enough, the general in charge was disappeared. The reason was because that general was very vocal about the graft and the greed and the corruption within the Russian military. And they had to boot him out because he was canceling orders, rearranging orders. He was pushing investigations of corruption and graft. He was pushing um, bribery investigations and they had to push him out. He was causing too many problems, costing people money. The Russian kleptocracy could not allow him to exist. It was a problem. And now we're seeing you push that guy out. You brought in other guys who are allowing the status quo, purportedly rearranging and reassigning and, and redeveloping and, and uh, bringing efficiencies to the military. And they did not. They clearly have not. I do think you have to couple that with this is the first time they're facing NATO. This is the first time they're facing javelins. The javelin is a missile that will fly over a tank and explode in such a way that it destroys the tank and everyone inside incinerates. It's one reason the Americans have a pretty good count of the uh, death toll on the conservative side because you can count the tanks. You know how many Russians are in each tank and you can count up the number of tanks and the Russians and and do your multiplication and you, you got a death toll. But our high-resolution satellites have also been counting bodies on the ground. There's a corollary here, though, that you need to understand. Boeing. Yeah, we need to go there. Boeing. Look, I'm a fan of Boeing. But Boeing largely exists in subsidy from the American government through the defense uh, contractors of America. Uh, you've got all these Boeing propositions for NASA and for the military. And in fact, uh, more and more, it looks like our military solely exists these days to keep Boeing afloat. We're seeing what's going on with the Russian military. Maybe we need to see what's going on on ours. We should not look at Russia and say it's a unique problem of the Russian kleptocracy. We've got major powerful lobbying interests in this country that could also run our military into the ground with waste, waste, fraud, and abuse. In fact, we got an inspector general uh, in the Defense Department who has regularly uncovered waste, fraud, and abuse. What are we doing with Boeing? When I look at it, and you know, I realize that Lockheed Martin as well probably comes into the mix, but the F-22 versus the F-35 the F-35 just seems to be a boondoggle of a project that we keep going. We scaled down the F-22 Raptor. Now, I am biased. I do love that jet. But still, I use that as just one of many examples. We should be more vigilant in our own military looking at what's happening with Russia right now to realize we're not immune from lobbyists. We're not immune from members of Congress wanting to prop up jobs in their district, making our military more inefficient. And we're not immune to the reimagining of our military that thinks we shouldn't be able to fight two wars at one time, which the Obama administration put us through, and we probably need to rethink. What efficiencies can we get? But also, what programs do we have that are propping up businessmen and making people rich 
while degrading the quality of our military. We should see what's happening with the Russian military right now and realize we're not immune from this. And we need to make sure that our military is in tip-top fighting shape at all times and not advancing projects and proposals that subsidize American corporations while actually not delivering bang for buck for the military. I sleep well at night under bowl and branch sheets. And I need to tell you, my family, we were customers before I started endorsing them. It's what I like to do. I like to be familiar with the product and like it. And I love the bowl and branch sheets. One of the reasons I love them is because they are super soft sheets. <laughs> Gotta say that word right. But they've got a little weight to them. So, so you feel somewhat more stubborn. Like I've got some... Uh, sheets that came with the new mattress and they're so light. It's like, there's nothing on top of you and I can't sleep well with them because they're, I mean, it's just, and then they bunch up the, the man, the satiny soft feel of the bull and branch sheets. It makes a real big difference. Listen, you've got so many options out there right now. You can go to a department store. You have so many options, but there's no reason to, because with bull and branch, you get high quality, Sheets, they've got a great thread count. They're perfect. They've got plenty of color options. You sleep well under them because they're soft and they're durable and they've got a little bit of weight, the perfect amount of weight for a sheet. Now, I want you to go out there and order Bolin Branch sheets because they are comfortable. You got, I mean, they're environmentally friendly. They're built around sustainability, and you got quality that lasts. You know, a lot of the companies that advertise all the environmentally friendly stuff, their sheets don't last. I can tell you, my bowl and branch sheets have lasted a long time, and they get softer over time. Experience the best sheets you've ever felt at bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. Welcome back. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> I'm rearranging things on the fly here because I see the story I, I was reading. This is amazing. This is from the New York Times. You may want to sit down for this one. <laughs> After all these discussions for all these weeks, the nation's largest federally owned utility plans to invest more than 3.5 billion dollars in new gas burning electric plants despite president biden's commitment to swiftly move away from fossil fuels and eliminate greenhouse gases from the power sector in a little more than a decade the tennessee valley authority which provides electricity to nearly 10 million people across the southeast is replacing aging power plants that run on coal the dirtiest fossil fuel but critics say substituting gas for coal would lock in decades of additional carbon dioxide emissions that are heating the planet and could be avoided by generating more electricity from solar, wind, or another renewable source. It marks the second time in recent months that a federal entity has clashed with Mr. Biden's climate agenda. The United States Postal Service is replacing 165,000 aging mail trucks with mostly gasoline-powered vehicles, despite the desire of the White House and leading Democrats to convert the fleet to all-electric vehicle. <laughs> so the, the TVA and the post office, 
They are independent organizations. They're governed by a board of directors made up of presidential appointees. In both cases, they're dominated by uh, people who were nominated by Donald Trump. And the TVA found that solar and other zero emission sources would be less dependable and more expensive. Now, they have federal obligations. Those obligations include uh, the historic electrification of the Appalachian uh, region in the Tennessee Valley. It was, a, for the longest time, a very poor region. Uh, the Tennessee Valley Authority started with hydroelectric power. They built dams and they used hydropower. They use a lot of hydroelectric power. The TVA also built cold-fired plants. They're winding down the cold fire fire plants, but they got to have natural gas. And they want the natural gas because it is abundant and it's cleaner. What a lot of the left fails to understand is that the TVA does not have a massive footprint where they can put windmills and solar panels to be able to produce an equivalent amount of electricity. They just don't. And they're not going to go buy up that land right now to put solar panels on it or windmills. They're just not. They have a, a uh, footprint. They have financing. They have uh, billing to customers. And they have that revenue in which they can compete. They're not getting government bailouts. Unlike the post office that regularly needs government bailouts, the TVA doesn't get it. And the result here is that uh, the TVA has decided they got to stick with fossil fuels and there's nothing the Biden administration or anyone else can really do to uh, change that dynamic. And I just, I find the meltdown, particularly in the New York Times, the outrage. How dare they defy the president on this? Oh, well, they're covered up with Trump employees. Sometimes you've got to make tough decisions and decisions that make business sense. It does not make business sense to cover the Southeast in solar panels, given the weather, particularly in that part of the country, that part of the Southeast. It also does not make sense to try to put up a bunch of windmills there. In addition to the NIMBY aspects of it, you've got other issues involving wind in the Southeast. You, you don't you don't want to do that. Put stuff where it matters. Put stuff where it makes a difference. Put solar panels in the desert. Put windmills where you can. But also, use natural gas. we got an abundance of it. There's really no reason at all for them to push this stuff, except, of course... They want to feel good about it. They, they want to feel good like they're having a real measurable impact on the environment if they're on the left. And here comes this government entity standing against them. Now, why are they standing against them? This is the important part. The Tennessee Valley Authority is under a federal mandate to produce power at a reasonable cost. They decided... That, um, that, that that natural gas would be a more reasonable cost. You don't want to go bankrupt the people who are having to buy this power. You know, and natural gas itself is, is expensive right now. These are the same people, by the way, the people who are opposed to the Tennessee Valley Authority using natural gas. They're the same ones who, I don't know if you've heard this, the left in Congress is trying to kill our um, liquid natural gas 
export facilities along the Gulf Coast. They're pushing Joe Biden for an executive order to shut them all down. These people are crazy. Oh, by the way, um, Jim is reminding me, I forgot to do this when we came back from the segment. Uh, This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Can't forget my beloved sponsors, the Frost family. Y'all, I love them. They're in Noonan, Georgia. They've been doing this since the 90s. They can help businesses nationwide. If your business needs access to big loans like $750,000 and up, reach out to them. Tell them I sent you. Just spend 10 minutes with them. You can get all their contact info at firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. Hello and welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. It is history time, history time. Uh, we, you know, we might as well, weekend history lessons. Uh, Philip likes me to do uh, stuff on occasion that we can send out on Sundays as kind of a, a Sunday school lesson. Uh, this is just your, your history lesson. And this isn't about Christianity at all. It is 632 AD. Muhammad. The prophet, he dies. And his followers in the Middle East, they are, well, they begin to wonder, what do we, what do, we do? How do we? How do we replace Muhammad? Who comes after him? Now, you should know that, uh, for example, Mormons, Joseph Smith, he, he died escaping from jail. Uh, Jesus Christ died uh, nailed to a cross. He rose again from the dead. Uh, Muhammad died in the lap of some of his dozen wives or so. He he, he died the, the cushiest death of, of all. Um, Muhammad was the prophet and apparently didn't do a good job really tying up his affairs and designating a successor. And so his followers, they they began dividing up. Some believed that Muhammad's uh, descendant, a a blood relative of Muhammad, needed to carry on Islam. Others believed that actually a a pious person who followed uh, Muhammad's teachings should be the leader. And they began a great squabbling. Interestingly enough, their squabbling came at his death. It, It actually took the Christian church... Uh, about 400 more years before they divided up and they divided up over, over the reading of the Nicene Creed, the, the Philoke uh, clause, does the, the spirit come from the father and the son or just the father? And it became the divide that gave us the Orthodox and the Catholic churches. This divide in 632 AD with Muhammad's death gave us the Sunni and the Shiite. The Sunni is where uh, most radical Islamic ideals come from. And the reason is very much because if you want to think of things in terms of Christianity, uh, the Sunni would be the Protestants and the Shiite, the Catholic. And I don't mean that disparagingly. Just follow along with me here. Uh, The Sunni are very Protestant in in the fact that a, a, a Sunni imam can set up a mosque and gain a following. And there is not some sort of uh, federation hierarchy. There is no pope in Sunni Islam. So each mosque can have its leader. And and there is some level of cooperation. And there are various imams who interpret Islam. And they try to keep everything in sync. But uh, you can get all sorts of different divisions within Sunni Islam. Then there is Shiite Islam. 
The Shiite is uh, Muslims believe that a descendant of Muhammad must lead the faithful. The Sunnis have spread all over the world. And you can find uh, disparate groups of Sunni Islam in, in Saudi Arabia. Really, Wahhabism is, is a sect of Sunnism where uh, they are much more into jihad. This is where Osama bin Laden and others have come from. But the Shiites are much more hierarchical. If you wanted to compare them, I would say Catholic, and I don't mean that disparagingly. I just mean there's more of an hierarchy. There is a leadership. There is defined role. And when a prominent Shiite cleric dies, they are to some degree venerated, much as Catholics venerate saints. You can get this within in Shiite Islam. It doesn't exist in Sunni Islam. They pray slightly different. They have slightly different um, religious ceremonies and, and the like, but they're largely, they're, they're all Islam. Just as the Catholics and Protestants went to war against each other after the Protestant Reformation, the Sunnis and the Shiites are regularly clashing with each other today. And what's so interesting is Christianity may have evolved sooner than Islam. Christianity sorted out all of its squabbling in the Middle Ages. Uh, Islam, though its split happened before the Christian split happened, is to this day now sorting out and squabbling between them. And one of the big issues within Shiite Islam, because it's so hierarchical, and in Iran you have the Ayatollah, and the Ayatollah is not just the religious leader, but he governs really resides over, presides over the secular affairs because it's a theocracy. They fund terrorism in ways the Sunnis do not. Yes, it is fair to say that uh, a lot of radical terrorists have were Sunni Muslims. They were not funded by government operations. Iran, the Shiites, they are descended of Muhammad, the leaders are. They are uh, more passionately opposed to Israel, and they fund terrorists. Hezbollah is a Shiite terrorist group. Hamas, to some degree now, gets some funding from the Iranians, although Hamas is Sunni and, and they keep everybody at arm's length. Hezbollah is a Shiite terrorist group. The Houthi Muslims in Yemen, are a terrorist group funded by the Iranians. When Joe Biden came to office, he decided to take the Houthi terrorists off the terrorist watch list. It disrupted relations in the Middle East. These Houthi terrorists funded by Iran are trying to destabilize Saudi Arabia. The Saudi Arabians began a war in Yemen as the Houthi and the Shiite began to set up camp there and uh, dragged Yemen into a civil war. And the United States allowed it to go on. We supplied arms to Saudi Arabia and to the United Arab Emirates. And when Joe Biden came in, he took the Houthi off the terrorist watch list and told Saudi Arabia, cut it out, don't use our weapons. Uh, the United States military actually um, launched, uh, intercepted missiles from Houthi rebels trying to blow up Abu Dhabi a few weeks ago. Uh, it was American military uh, operatives running Patriot missile batteries 
that intercepted the missiles. And yet the Biden administration continues dogmatically, stubbornly, to try to pursue a deal with Iran. Last week, it got very little attention. The Iranians launched missiles at the United States positions in Iraq. And the U.S. said, ah, oh, it's no big deal. They missed. Actually, they were trying to blow up the, the Israelis. The Israelis apparently, allegedly, according to uh, the Iranians, had a safe house in Erbil where they attacked, and it was very near American positions. And the Iranians claimed they were blowing up Jews. Yeah, that makes it good. They very dogmatically insist on an Iran deal. They are unwilling to consider a contingency by which we do not have an Iran deal. And it is deeply damaging. This is from the dispatch. After eight weeks of gridlocked and often grueling negotiations through international intermediaries in Vienna, the United States and Iran looked on track to secure an agreement aimed at curbing Iran's expanding nuclear program. But last week nearly saw the efforts derailed in their final stages after Washington roundly rejected demands by Russia to shield its own trade with Iran from Ukraine-related sanctions. Instead of the broad protections Moscow requested, U.S. negotiators agreed to Russia's involvement in a much narrower scope. So why did Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov take a victory lap with his Iranian counterpart in Moscow last week, claiming the talks had entered the home stretch? A recently discovered $10 billion contract between Iran's atomic energy organization and a Russian state-owned company, Rosatom, might explain why. The contract detailed plans now underway for Russia to build two nuclear reactors at Boucher Nuclear Plant in Iran, an enterprise the new Iran-U.S. nuclear agreement would explicitly protect, and there could be more to follow. A November 2014 protocol between Russia and Iran, outlined in a Rosatom document obtained by the dispatch, left the door open for Russia to build six additional reactors and generate billions more in revenue. The carve-out could extend to President Vladimir Putin, a meaningful monetary lifeline as the West has backed Russia into an economic quarter with sanctions. For contact, r- context, Russia's entire bilateral trade with Iran last year was only $4 billion in total, which was an 80% increase from the previous year. On top of that, it appears the United States is going to take the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard off its list of terrorist organizations, or it's the Iranian Republican Guard. They're, they're going to take them off the list. They're going to allow Iranian terrorists free roam around the earth for the first time in decades. They are fundamentally destabilizing the Middle East. This is why Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Egypt and Bahrain are all flirting with China. Because China knows, though it has kept Iran in its pocket, China knows the Iranians are true believers who want to bring about the apocalypse so that the Mahdi returns. And the Chinese have been quelling Muslim dissent in Western China. That's why they're persecuting the Uyghurs. The Uyghurs are Muslims. They don't want Muslims to come in and help the Uyghurs. 
They don't want the Muslims to be fired up. The things of the world loves the things things of the world, and you're going to be able to get some sort of bi, uh, bilateral trade agreements out of the Middle East as they shift sides away from the United States where we lose all clout because Joe Biden is dogmatically insisting on a bad agreement with Iran. A bad agreement is better than no agreement in his mind. It's going to allow Iran to build up its nuclear capacities, and this is a country that really, truly, genuinely wants to bring about the apocalypse. And it will benefit Russia as well. It's absurd. Absolutely absurd. That's why we need more conservative fighters out there, and and we need the Republicans to take back Congress so they can ask really tough questions about this deal. One of the groups that's out there helping us take back Congress, helping conservatives advance their fight, is Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile is a cell phone company that actually has great service and uses the towers of the big guys. So whether it's Verizon, AT&T, you get to use their towers with Patriot Mobile. So you don't have to worry about your coverage. All you do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, and you sign up. They can take your existing phone number. They can give you a new phone number. They can give you a new phone, or you can use your phone if it's unlocked. They also give you great discounts if you're a veteran, first responder, a teacher, an NRA member, you name it. Just talk to them and you get free activation with my name. You can call them 972-PATRIOT if you want, 972-PATRIOT, or go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Well, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Uh, before I get out of here, I got to talk to you about this Yale situation. Have you all heard about this? Uh, there was a uh, meeting. It was a panel at Yale University, it featured uh, someone on the left from the Southern Poverty Law Center, and it featured Kristen Wagner, who's been on the show before, with Alliance Defending Freedom. And progressive activists began shouting down uh, the ADF speaker, Kristen. Uh, let me read you this from the, the Free Beacon. The March 10 panel was hosted by the Yale Federalist Society. It featured Monica Miller of the Progressive American Humanist Association and Kristen Wagner of the Alliance Defending Freedom. I'm sorry, I thought it was, it was Southern Poverty Law Center, a conservative nonprofit that promotes religious liberty. Both groups had taken the same side in a 2021 Supreme Court case involving legal remedies for First Amendment violations. The purpose of the panel was to illustrate that a liberal atheist and a conservative Christian could find common ground on free speech issues. But 120 student protesters showed up and shut down the event. When a professor at the law school, Kate Stith, began to introduce Wagner, the protesters who outnumbered the audience members rose in unison and held signs attacking ADF. As they stood up, the protesters began to antagonize members of the Federalist Society, forcing Stith to pause her remarks. One protester told a member of the conservative group she would, quote, literally fight you, the B word. Stith reminded Yale students of their free speech policies, which bar any protest that interferes with the speaker's ability to be heard or of community members to listen. The protesters told her to, or she told the protesters to grow up and they began to heckle her. Then they went outside and started beating on the walls and making so much noise you could not hear the speakers inside. And then they started threatening the panelists. Police officers had to escort Wagner and Miller out of the building. Three members of the Federalist Society said they were told the dean, Heather Gherkin, called the police, though the law school designed to comment. Yale police officers allegedly were already on hand, but here's the thing. 
Yale Law School has a policy that you're not supposed to disrupt. And they disrupted. And now what's so interesting here is you have some progressives in the press who are out there, well, all they did was exercise their free speech rights. All they did was protest. There's a difference between protesting, though, and making it so other people who don't want to be a part of your protest can participate in what they wanted to participate in. They were disrupting. And they these are people who are going to go into the, the legal field where sometimes you have to represent candidates who or, or clients rather who may disagree with you. You have to represent clients who you may not see eye to eye. How are these people going to navigate this? You know, I had to represent clients when I was a lawyer, uh, some I didn't like, and I had to represent them. Couldn't fire them for the most part because I was an associate. They were actually the partner's client. And you got to learn to deal with that. I don't understand how these progressive activists in the Ivy League who have been pampered all their lives are going to be able to go into the workforce. Now, I suspect a lot of them aren't. They got trust funds, and a lot of them, they'll go work in public interest law where they can align themselves to an idea that they like and they never have to work. But, I mean, for most people, you can't do that. The the real world beckons you to take stands and also to understand you got to go along in life with people who disagree with you. There's a real inability now for people to to, to agree to disagree. I mean, look at the, the Leah Thomas stuff to come full circle here. If I were to go on Twitter and say Leah Thomas is actually a man, Twitter would turn my account off. I know because I did it with Laurel Hubbard, the guy who's the weightlifter in New Zealand, made it to the Women's Olympics, and they turned my account off for misgendering. No, I accurately said he's a bio. I used the phrase biological male, and he is. That's telling the truth. And my account was turned off on Twitter until I deleted the tweet. People on the left are the most intolerant. It was Archbishop Chaput. Catholic Archbishop, who said evil preaches tolerance until it's dominant, then it seeks to silence good. That's exactly what we're seeing in the world today. All these people who said be tolerant, be tolerant, be tolerant, are not like, I'm not going to be tolerant of what I think is intolerance. This is the world we live in. It is not a world that values free speech. You know, I got to tell you, being in conservative radio even, uh, there are radio groups out there. I'm, I'm very blessed to work with a lot of great people who have my back, but I'm increasingly told as I grow in syndication, oh, you can't talk about these issues anymore. If you do, you're not going to be able to grow in radio. You can't talk about social conservative issues. I guess I'm not growing because it's who I am. It's just amazing how many people are scared to speak up these days. You got to be fearless when it comes to free speech. The Constitution gave you that right. Our founding fathers were willing to die for that right. The only way to exercise that right is to speak up. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be a biblical donkey. But stand up and hold your ground, and good for Kristen Wagner for doing it. She refused to back down and refused to walk away from the panel discussion. All right, I got to go. We're out of time. You guys have a great weekend. I'll talk to you all Monday. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building? You want to build a building? Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. 
So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.